Sean Capri, and welcome to We the Gamer Cast. It publishes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play every single Monday. Patrons get it first. Thank you guys for subscribing, for rating the show on Apple Podcasts, for telling your mom, for telling your dad, for telling your brother, for telling your sister, for telling your cousin, for telling your cousin's brother, who's still your cousin. Actually, that's I think that's how that works. How are you guys? It's good to see you. It's good to have you here. I'm so freaking excited. I've got something absolutely insane to talk to you about before we jump into my conversation with uh, with TJ here. But if you're new, here's the deal. Every week I have sweet hangs with a stranger or a friend from the internet, and we talk about life and video games. And if you want to be on the show, it's pretty easy. It's free. You can just do it. Just tweet at me at Sean Capri, Sean like Connery, Capri like the pants. I have a couple things that I want to tell you guys. Uh, you'll notice that we jumped right into the show. Sometimes we do the Patreon, like the shoutouts at the start. We're going to do that live or i guess like the pre-recorded whatever the hell this is uh we're gonna do that here in just a second you can support us at patreon.com slash you capri like nearly 70 people do over there and i want to give a special thank you to our capremium producers dallas ford lee navarro the fearless leader of the phoenix overdrive extra life team which is happening by the way in rome new york you guys should join us more on that maybe in a bit or just find out on twitter uh and jonathan brown the man behind the music on the xbox drive and the nintendo drive you can support him at youtube.com slash pm entertainment our platinum producers robbie bobby miller and trucker sloth and all of our gold members argo benji kong brendan myers dallas robbins dano emily o'kelly foolish fuji James Johnson, Joel Brooks, Jose Jimenez, Mac Time, Marcus O'Neill, who I went for a little jog with today, Mr. and Mrs. Nasty Boots, RJ Kern, Skinny Matt, and Xavier Reyes. Guys, thank you all so much. If you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Capri. Choose that tier that's right for you, and uh, you, you support whatever this is, man. I really enjoy doing this show. I'm glad you guys are here. And welcome also new to the Patreon, John. I, I, that's all it's that, that's all it gives me. So, John, <laughs> thank you so much for your support. Patreon.com slash Amy Capri. Now, uh, I have something just wild. I don't know if I have the ability to to tell you guys like really how how impactful this what, what today what happened today was to me. So many of you guys have heard me talk about my my late friend Faisal. He had cancer far too many times uh, on his time on this earth. And I got to know him, got to got to become friends with him. Uh, honored to have known him and he was so he was so impactful in my life because even even while he was literally on his deathbed by the time he was he was diagnosed the final time he was in palliative care and he was so strong so mentally strong uh throughout all of his journey he had me fooled into thinking like maybe i don't understand what palliative care is anyways um he he left a, a remarkable mark on my life, and he. Whenever I talk about you know like every day is a gift, that comes from Faisal. He talks about that. He used to talk about that all the time, and so something crazy kind of happened today. Uh, I I I became friends with him, got to know his family and everything, and um, I haven't been able to 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 stay in touch. And just out of nowhere, I learned today why I haven't been staying in touch with his family, and uh, because his mom called me out of nowhere. Um, so I spoke with her today. For a good, I don't know, maybe half hour, we caught up, you know, had the kids, all that kind of stuff, and learned quite a lot about her and how she's doing. It's some kind of remarkable stories that she was telling me, which I won't, I won't get into here. It's not the point of the story, um, but the point of the story is it was, ve- it was just very nice to talk to her, just sort of like a, you know, just a reminder because I've been talking about uh, talking about Faisal a lot on this show and on, uh, on a few others, uh, the Pants Patreon podcast, which is an exclusive bonus podcast for supporting Yumi Capri, um, kind of just like 
spreading his message as best that I possibly can because it was so impactful for me. So anyway, talking to his mom, really, really nice. And it wasn't until I got home that I, when I was, you know, changing and, and getting into more more comf- comfortable sh- uh, clothes because I, I go to work in, in a suit and, and nice shoes and everything like that. So I'm, I'm getting home, taking off my shoes, and I take a look at my socks. And there are these, um, they're like dark blue with kind of bright turquoisey like just uh, like bicycles on them very simple kind of like almost like a cartoon little bicycle pattern on them and i came to realize like wait a minute where did i get these socks from and the socks were from faisal faisal my friend gave me these socks once upon a time probably probably almost 10 years ago at this point and he gave them to me when he was helping me out because i i won't get into why but anyways i needed socks (laughs) he he went home and grabbed me some socks because that's just the person that he was just whatever you needed he was there for you and so I'm looking over in my office here. There, I've got a pile of socks. You guys don't understand. Like I, I just have I have, I could have put on any number of. There's probably a good twenty or thirty pairs of socks over there that I could have I could have chosen. Now I was wearing a blue a blue suit, blue shirt, and kind of brown shoes and 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 belt. So I guess maybe that limited me be a little bit. But for the most part, my socks are can go. With blue. I've got a Sonic socks over there. I've got some space stuff. Like I got a lot of options. When I'm wearing a blue suit, blue shirt, blue tie, that kind of thing. Uh, but I chose these socks without really even thinking about it. So realizing when I got home today that I was wearing Faisal socks on the day that his mom calls me out of, like, I haven't talked to her in years. And the weirdest thing about it all, if, if that's not enough, is this morning when I went to go get coffee at the, at the little cafeteria in the hospital... Um, the lady there, very nice. And we've talked a lot. Like we, I get, I get drinks from there all the time. And, uh, she complimented my suit, which was very, very nice. And she said, what kind of socks are you wearing today? She's never asked me about my socks at all. And so I showed her, like, I've got these cool little like bicycle socks. I thought that was kind of strange. She asked me about my socks. So that was this morning. Got this. She asked me about my socks. Middle of the day, Faisal's mom calls me. End of the day, I realized that I'm wearing Faisal socks. Realized that I talked to Faisal's mom. Realized that the lady at the coffee shop asked me about the socks and a lot of the conversation that I had with Faisal's mom was about somebody watching over us or Faisal himself watching over uh there was a lot of again that's that's that, that's about as much into the conversation as I think I'll, I'll divulge but it was it's almost too much man it's almost too much and so I I say that to say this which I think Donnie says a lot which I really like I say that to say this if this hits you guys in any sort of way, if this means something to you that you would like to share with me, I am, I'm at the point where this is, I'm kind of blown away by this, to be honest with you. I, I feel very moved and overwhelmed and like it, it, I can't ignore what happened today. Like that is absolutely bonkers to me. So if if that connects with you at all in any sort of like spiritual way, I don't know exactly how to, how to say this, but I don't know, man, I'm willing to have a conversation about it because I am, I feel like he's, I feel like he's with me, man. Like, I don't know how else to say it. And he's such a, he's, he's such a positive person. And I'm so lucky that I got to know him. I will never forget him and his message. And today was just kind of, kind of crazy. So I wanted to share that with you guys. Um, Hopefully that's all right. And I think we'll just jump right. There's not really a a smooth way to do this, but other than to say, that's that story. Now we're going to jump into my conversation with TJ Sensula, who is an absolute sweetheart. And 
deserved more energy from me. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. I'll talk to you guys more about it at the end, but um, TJ is just an absolute delight. And I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. He is a, another, just one of those powerhouses, a really motivating person who I hope you enjoy. You can follow him on Twitter at custom conquest. Here he is. My good friend, TJ Sensula. Growing up, I did karate and taekwondo, yeah. and uh, I competed in taekwondo much later than most people tend to do. Once you become an old man, sure. they call you uh, master's division. And yep, so I competed yep. I competed on the state and national level, and then I came to Taiwan, and we were trying to find a taekwondo school, but yeah. they only trained kids in my area. There are mm-hmm. some really great taekwondo schools in Taiwan, sure, but uh, at least where I'm at, they didn't have one, so... Uh, I joined with UFC gym and I was oh, just, nice. yeah, I was astounded at the level of talent they have for coaches yeah. here on this little island. So mm-hmm. like, there's world champions training us in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai, yeah. boxing, uh, kickboxing, all that yeah. kinds of stuff. So, so I take all that stuff all the time. I feel like it's it's kind of almost refreshing or a bit of a throwback for me even to hear karate or taekwondo because it just seems like if you're going to get into fighting at all, it's going to be some sort of like, yeah, Muay Thai or Jiu Jitsu or something like that. Or it's just like, but back in the day, I don't know about you, like back in the day, it was like, it was default Taekwondo. Like that was it. That was the only. For sure. Tons of, are they, I'm going to get my terminology wrong. You can help me out here. Like, are there dojos? And then there, I don't know. Like, what's what's for what? Like, where do you train for each? For, get get yeah, straight do- here. You're, you're not far off. Dojo is karate and uh, dojang. Is Taekwondo so very close? Oh, okay, and 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 the actual disciplines are extremely close too. Taekwondo yeah. has a, uh, it was kind of derived from Shotokan Karate during mm. Japanese occupation of Korea from World War II. So you can definitely see. I grew up doing karate from uh, a Korean man who studied in Japan. So oh, he wow. taught karate, he taught karate, but uh, you could also see that it, it, it had a lot of traditional Korean fighting elements in it too. And mm. then as I got a little bit older. I trained with, uh, I, I was just very lucky in my training. I got to train with two extremely uh, high level and extremely skilled Taekwondo masters from Korea. Uh, one of them was even president of Kukiwan, which is kind of like the headquarters of Taekwondo. Good God, and, man. And, and, and it, it just happened to be the school that was proximal to me when I was looking for a place to train. Sure. Yeah. Why were you looking to train? Like, how did you walk me back to that? Like, how did you get started? And what do you mean when you were older, when you got started? Uh, Well, I first started fighting, I think, shortly before um, uh, passing through the womb. I think I delivered myself. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm not expecting that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, the rumor has it that I, I fashioned a sword out of my own umbilical cord and heated in my own delivery. <laughs> Breaking uh, yourself, <laughs> chopping through bricks and planks of wood and everything. Yeah, I'm coming out, mom. <laughs> I, you know, the, the doctor seemed like he was threatening me with the forceps, and I was not about to have that. Oh my god! Uh, but like, like real. most kids, for for real, I I was really strongly influenced by video games. Legend of Zelda was one of the first experiences where I was controlling somebody who was using a sword sure. and I was like, Oh, okay. This is my job. This mm-hmm. is my job. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a sword fighting adventurer. 
Uh, of course, at like seven, you don't really know how impractical and improbable that is. And I didn't care and I never cared. Yeah. <laughs> Like what kind of living can you even like, you know, what, you're not even thinking about like making a living. You just like, I guess that's just what I want to do with my time here on this earth. Yeah. I just figured I'd find a way. And, yeah. and it, as you, as you get older, you, you just pour yourself into something enough. You spend enough time around something. Uh, you get lucky enough and opportunities start to open up. Sure. And, and so I, I started pursuing more of a, a performance path because I realized oh. the, the, the age of the knights is gone. The, the only <laughs> way I'm going to be able to be a knight as a profession is if I do it in more of a, a theatrical or dramatic capacity. Yeah. So I started studying acting and uh, I would combine that with my martial arts. And it wasn't too long before that kind of transition to stunt type work. So when I went oh, out to... Oh, uh, I didn't know this. Okay. Like what kind of stunt work were you doing? Predominantly sword fighting, but sure. it would also it would also have a martial arts bent. So once I finished college with a film and video degree, so I knew how to edit. I know, I, I was like someday I'm gonna be broken down and yeah. my my body's not gonna be able to do what I want to do anymore. And I need to have something else that really engages me and interests me. And I've always loved storytelling, so I went to school to learn how to write and how to how to edit and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And the stunt stuff was just convenient because it was where, it's where my passion was. So I was going to try to pursue that as much as I could while the body was still able. Yeah, you could you could edit till you die, but sure. you can't do backflips till you die. I was so, going to ask you how many backflips uh, you can do in a row. Like, what do you, <laughs> I mean? It's kind of a non sequitur. In a in a row, if we're talking like handsprings, where my hands go down, sure, probably probably like seven or eight. Like you're just <laughs> going. But, but gen- generally, there's not more space than the two or three, especially right. if it's if it's in if it's on a set or for it has to fit within the frame of a camera. You usually only get two or three. Yeah, but see, my it, body like, just full- doesn't even do it. It doesn't trust it. Like I'll I'll, I'll quit a quarter way into the back turn, just like you know, break my neck or something like that. It's just and, it's not going to happen. And that's that's exactly what it is. Hesitation is death. E- yeah. Even oh, if yeah. you commit. You commit and fail, you're going to be way better. I couldn't off even do it on a trampoline. <laughs> like if I had every advantage in the world, like I couldn't do. Like I really have to be full on, like pulley system and bungee cords and everything, like really lifting me up, and I'd really have to go for it in order for me to just like uh, that's, do the thing. It's not a bad way to learn. Well, where did you? Where, where did like the body? What is it called? Like body position awareness or something like that? Like where you're like you just know where you are just in relation to the ground at all times. Like is that is that? I don't know if I'm pulling something from like yeah, I, or something. I have. I have very poor aerial awareness. Yeah. So once I start to make any kind of lateral movements, I'm lost. Yeah, yeah. It's o- it's o- <laughs> it's okay depending on what I'm landing on. Mm-hmm. Like if 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 I'm landing in water or if I'm landing in a foam pit. Yeah. Uh, or you. or if I'm landing on a soft enough pad, then I land how I land. Sure. But if it's something where I need to land on the ground and it needs to be a controlled fall or or especially if it needs to look cool, mm-hmm. then I've got one linear rotation. That's that, that's my <laughs> max. I, I would make I would make most gymnasts shudder. But for mm-hmm. for my purposes, it, it served me well enough. So so like, who are you stunting for? Like, are you stepping in for somebody? Is it sort of like a medieval times kind of thing? Like, what do you what what theatrics are you getting yourself into? <laughs> Every capacity you can imagine somebody using a sword in modern day 
uh, I had a hand in. I don't think uh, I can I imagine did... any sword play in modern day. <laughs> when when I when I was twelve, I went to Medieval Times for the first time in yeah. uh, in Schaumburg, Illinois, which mm-hmm. like very near very near Chicago. Yeah, and at, at that point, it made such a strong imprint on me. I was like, I'm doing this. Yeah, the no doubt. That I'm old enough to do this. I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And two weeks before my 21st birthday, I was going. I was going to school in, in Chicago, so I was pretty close to medieval times. Yeah, uh, I was like, I'm, I'm going to do this while I'm in school. So I, I walked in. I said, I'm, I'm 21 in two weeks. It's been my dream to work here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, let's make this happen. Yeah. And I just happened to have walked into one of the nights that I saw on the night it's a sign. that I was 12. It was amazing. And uh, he was like are you an actor? I said, yeah. And he goes, stay right there. And somebody else came back a few minutes. He's like, hi, I'm the casting director here. Uh, do you want to play the master of ceremonies? And I'm like, mm, it's a non-fighting role, but it is the, the star. Yeah. yeah. So, so, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do this. So I rode the horse and I introduced all the knights. I was basically the mouthpiece of the show. Yeah. But, but no fighting. Yeah, but still, it was awesome to be around, and, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Could you experience. have done a better job than the fighters? Like, let's be honest. Could you have gone out there and kind of kick butt better? You know what? The fighting is a significant part of what they do, but it's the mastery of the riding that really separates mm. the the knights at medieval times. And I, I was not at their level. I didn't need to be for right. for my purposes. I just needed to basically stay on the horse. And to be completely frank, my horse probably could have done the job without me. Because right. it, it knew what it needed to do, and it would just go about its business. Even if I I wanted to linger a little bit too long in one section, my horse mm-hmm. knew the beats. My horse knew where it needed to go and how long it had to get there. Yeah. So it would it would resist me a lot of the time. And yeah, it's you like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, quiet you guy with mm-hmm. the mouth. I'll, yeah, I've been I'm here a lot longer. Show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're the one making the noise, but I'm the legs. Yeah. So... <laughs> so uh i feel like i could have learned the fighting choreography they were yeah. very talented guys very talented very yeah. hardworking guys uh and I, I could not say a single disparaging thing about any of them they were tough they had toughness oh, like people really? who, who who think that that's easy you fall off a horse at 20 plus miles per hour that's like a controlled crash and, mm-hmm. and these guys did it did it every night over and over again yeah um so while I, I, I'm a competent rider, I couldn't do what they were doing. Interesting. Uh, do you think do you and, think people have like an appreciation or like is it more cursory? Like is there is there like a, a fandom for medieval times in terms of like like any, anything more than just a place for people to go have have a I don't know like kind of a, a weird dinner you know kind of just a maybe a function. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the cool things I, I think about the Chicago Castle is that it's not a tourist attraction. Oh, interesting. Whereas if, if, if you're in like uh, California, for example, that's where I went. Yeah. Med- medieval times is right next to Disney world mm-hmm. and right next to like pirate dinner adventure. So it is something that you do. You, you plan into your, your trip to California, right? You go to Disney, but in Chicago, it it's mostly run by repeat business. Yeah. So you do generate these, these people who are committed to certain factions. Like they, there was this group that would always come in during my tenure at the castle called fog friends of green 
And yeah. when they would roll in, it would be a party of like 50 people all just what? cheering for the Green Knight. And, and you knew that as the, the master of ceremonies and you would pay special attention and you would give special acknowledgement because you knew that these people, it was a very important part of, of their life mm-hmm. to come and they went to great lengths to try to make events out of this. So we yeah. tried to as much as we could make it feel special for them too did you like become did you come friends with like the the rest of the cast did you guys kind of hang out like did you become was it more than anything uh, than just they were performing? all very they were all very close mm. yeah, but for the most part i stayed at arm's length because i was also in college and so oh, i would okay. i would roll in i would do my shows then sure. i would do i would go back and do my other stuff and it was like two hours of sleep a night at best it was really right. really grueling so as far as socializing goes, it wasn't really my thing. Was it surreal though? Like, was that like, was that at that point in time, was that kind of like making it, it was like, oh man, I've been working. I've been trying to like get something or were you kind of like, okay, maybe this is more of a stepping stone towards what the real goal was. Like where were you? I always that knew that I was going to Los Angeles. Oh, okay. And, and so I, I had a very definitive end date is yeah. once I finished my college, I had an extension program in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And so there I had like a two year period and it was definitely the fulfillment of a childhood dream, which is sure. my whole life is chasing the fulfillment of childhood dreams. Right. And, and I, I have to say I've been extremely blessed. Uh, now that I'm a dad, I've pretty much checked every single thing off my list that I ever wanted to do in life. So from here on out, it's gravy. Yeah, man. Uh, and I, I have nothing but pathetic gratitude for the opportunities that I've had. What do you mean? Pathetic gratitude. That sounds Just like, like a- just like this, this utterly deep acceptance that I'll, even though I pour myself into this, I, I work very hard for this. It's nothing without the opportunity. And, okay. and so I, I take, I find it hard to take too much credit for anything that I've achieved because I, I only did it by the grace of God or by the opportunities that, that were afforded to me by people enough gracious to work with me. And yeah. so I do my hardest and, and perform my best at whatever I do. Cause I don't know how to do anything else. Yeah. Like, TJ has one mode and that's 100%. That's all in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's very humble. That's very, but maybe does that come as part and parcel of some sort of like discipline that you brought along the way. Is that part of the training? Is that what made the training and, and fighting possible? Like, I don't know, maybe it's a cart before the horse or chicken and egg kind of situation where one led to another. Was it that the the discipline was came from somewhere else or did you learn that through or both kind of combine at the same time to just put you in a very, you're in a very reflective state, I think as well. And where you don't necessarily want to take all the credit in the world, but like you just said, it takes a lot of hard work to do what you did and, and, and what you continue to do. So I don't know, like what, where that maybe comes from is if, if it's instilled first or if it's just developed along the way. I think a lot of it is just my natural bent. Do you where, have siblings? Like, oh, maybe I'll, t- I'll take I, a different I do. angle. What are they I like? Do. We're about as different as siblings yeah. can, can yeah. possibly <laughs> okay. be. Uh, I'm the oldest of four, but my okay. parents were also foster parents. I'm, I'm their biological wow. child. But uh, I, over the course of my childhood, I've had probably about 30 foster brothers and sisters for varying, varying lengths of time. Pretty typical. Pretty, pretty standard upbringing. Pretty standard upbringing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, and walk me through was, that, man. What was that like? I was always the oldest. Yeah. And my oldest younger brother was always the second oldest, but my younger my younger brother and my sister sometimes would have people or other kids come into the house who were older than them. So yeah. they had a little bit more of a shifting dynamic than I did. So sorry, there was four biological siblings. Is that how that worked? Correct. And then why were your parents foster? Like, wasn't that enough? That sounds like enough children. Sure. It definitely was enough. And uh, we were handfuls. But I think my mom just really felt a, a strong moral Here conviction that, okay. that these children needed help. Yeah. And she was in a position to be able to provide a stable environment. We were what was considered a final placement foster home, which meant that they stayed with my parents until either they were adopted or the rights of their parents were restored. So, wow. Oh, I didn't even so know that, that that was a thing. Okay. That the rights of the so, parents were restored. And there's all kinds of reasons why why parents would lose their children. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's just uh, like a tragedy of the court system. Like, may, like they, oh, wow. they, just, they just mess up. Sometimes the parents need to get their act together. They're dealing with their own issues, Mm -hmm. addiction, sometimes incarceration. Uh, Sometimes they are in a bad financial situation and they just can't afford their kid. And they make the tough choice to put their kids somewhere where they can be provided for until they can get back on their feet. And, And thankfully, we had the opportunity to witness that a few times where parents just, they wanted to be the parents of their children. They just couldn't. Yeah. Uh, But I'm glad that my parents were able to provide a place for the, those kids to be safe in the meantime, so that when they could be restored to their parents, they they were able to be that was able to happen. When, when in your life did this out. start? When in your life did this start to happen? Like, where were you when like the first kind of foster kid walked into the house, and how did they prep you for that? I was pretty old. I was twelve. I want to say eleven oh, wow. or twelve, and my my parents had taken care of friends of the family's kids when I was very young. So I was maybe two and, and there was, were two girls who came and lived with me and my brother Mm -hmm. and they were about our age. So I only have extremely tenuous memories of that. Just very, very fragile images in my mind, like moments that I can pick out, but Mm -hmm. I don't really remember the, the dynamic of what that yeah. was like, but they're fully on taking these people in, like feeding them, clothing them, like the, like it's not just like they're not getting subsidized from somewhere else. It's like they're they are the guardians. It, it is it is subsidized to oh, some okay. extent. Like sure. like uh, some of some of the kids have special needs, so they require mm-hmm. medication and they require um, uh, visits with counselors or psychologists, uh, yeah. uh, things like that. So the state would pay for that stuff. Yeah. So. If if they got prescribed some medication, that doesn't come out of my parents' pocket. Gotcha. That, that. But still, still. So what does your dad have to say about all this stuff? Like, is this mostly like your mom? Like, you kind of, you, I think you kind of singled her out when you mentioned it. But like, what is this a mostly coming from your mom kind of thing? Like, your dad's working? Like, what was I that situation? Think, like? I think my dad is less vocal about his emotions, but yeah. he was always, uh, at, at the worst, he was complicit. And, sure. and at and at the best, he was uh, right alongside my mom. He he, they definitely worked as a team, and yeah. and I I have not a bad thing to say about either one of my parents. As a kid, you take for granted how good your parents are, and then yeah. as you start to get older, you realize, wow, like the parent jackpot. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. 
You ever so they, that? They, yeah. And once, once I left the house and was an adult and, and I was meeting other people who had a much less fortunate upbringing than me, I felt <laughs> you it, had foster kids coming I, in and out of the house to, you know, talk about other parents. Yeah. But and stuff. what can you say to a teenager? My teenager TJ point. Knew, knew everything that there was to know about. Everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So later yeah, teacher on, teacher TJ needs to get slapped around a bit. Man, isn't that? I mean, for for I'm I, I'm nodding in agreement, but for me, like not like I have no idea for you, but I can just imagine, like for for me, definitely. But you have to live through life, you know. You kind of have to just you kind of have to experience. But at the same time, I feel like you probably were you, you had your head on straight at probably pretty early. I think this is one of the things that I I find so fascinating with you that I think about for uh, one of my best friends in in the whole world, very very disciplined with his with his training, and and came into Taekwondo a little bit later on in life than I think is probably pretty typical. And I think about that kind of stuff for for Lincoln quite a lot as well. Like my son is, uh, I think about that. Um, I, I want that sort of instill, and also like maybe there's something to be said about the the challenge of it all, like overcoming the challenges. And there's this great video of this, this, I don't know what kind of discipline it was, what kind of martial art it was, but maybe Taekwondo or something. There's this kid and he just wants to try to like break through the, through the plank, through the, through the wood. And he's not able to do it. And he starts to weep. He just starts to really cry. And he's got a really great coach or, um, whatever you would call it, really helping to encourage him. And he just like breaks through it and he does it. And he like, you can see the transformation almost as his, I, I think it was his foot, like kicking through it. And it's like, he didn't think he could do it. He was literally just saying, I can't do it. And somebody else saying, you can do it and you just do it this way. And it's like, I feel like that's everything in life, man. Like that actually gives me chills thinking about that video of seeing this kid crying, weeping, I can't do it. And then he does it. And it's like, that's life, man. Like that in that moment, it's like this microcosm of like, you don't think you can do it. And you just, you try, you have the right mentorship, you have the right coaching and, and encouragement. And then you do it. Holy crap. Like I get really excited about that sort of thing. That's why I think sports I, and everything is so important. I witnessed what you're describing almost exactly firsthand. And, mm-hmm. and it really, like, like you said, it was, it was humbling to see a master at work. Yeah. Like, uh, like understanding the slap tickle. When you need to be hard, when mm-hmm. you need to really like push a child firmly, and when you need to back off, and mm. and I think that's really the difference between a, a master and and somebody who's still kind of a fledgling in the craft of teaching, right? right. Especially when you're dealing with kids, yeah. because sometimes kids really don't believe that they can do it, and they just need a little hard push. Yeah. Sometimes that hard push is too much. Too much. And. Mm-hmm. and and knowing how to do that delicate dance is one of the most impressive things that, that I've seen from the coaches that I've had the great privilege of being able to be around. Mm-hmm. Are you coaching kids? Like, what are you, what are you doing now? I, I have, jump in here, I, but, yeah. I, I'm not now, but okay. I, I've, I've coached in Taekwondo in a, a junior capacity, never, never on a master level, but warming kids up, taking them through basic kicking techniques. I, yeah. I was a sword fighting coach for, uh, let's see, maybe 10 years mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And that was part of, you asked earlier, how do you make a living as a sword fighter? That's right. one, of, one of the ways is in, in Los Angeles, California, stage combat or film combat is almost a requisite skill. So mm. there are lots of people who need to learn how to do that and not a lot of places where you can learn it. Right. And at the time, I trained at Swordplay Studios, which was 
just extremely talented group of sword fighters, mm-hmm. a, a very sound method of training for screen, extremely yeah. safe, extremely repeatable, extremely consistent. And so I, I was fortunate enough to be able to first train there and then uh, be able to teach out of that school. So that was a lot of fun. Wow. Like, I mean, holy. And I met my wife there too. I was just going to ask you that. It was so funny. You must have like, maybe you've listened to the show before. Maybe there's a pattern here, but that's exactly what I was going to ask you is like, okay, so you go from all of that to like, now you're, now you're a dad. You're, are, are you married? Or are you common? Like we're married. Okay. So if, like, if, if we weren't married, I would not be allowed in Taiwan. She's my, she's my ticket. Why? How did she's Taiwanese? Okay. So I went, where, did you, where did you meet? Born. Yeah. Okay. So, I was teaching sword fighting mm-hmm. at Sword Play Studios. Uh, one of the classes I taught was stage combat. So I would get a lot of young actors who would come in, and uh, a lot of them went on to do pretty awesome things. I trained a couple Power Rangers, which was really cool. What? And Wait, okay, don't you can't blank over that. What? What? Tell me more about that. <laughs> when, when I was a little kid, yeah, not too little, maybe ten or so. I, sure. I watched Power. I watched Power Rangers. Heck and yeah! It was like the the culmination of a lot of the things that interested me telling mm-hmm. stories and, and performing for screen and martial arts. I was studying martial arts at the time. So what they were doing on the show is very similar to what I was learning in karate and Taekwondo. And I, and I thought that sure would be a fun job. Mm-hmm. And then as many, many years pass and I'm in Los Angeles teaching sword fighting. And one of my, my students who had at that point already been my student, I think for a couple years, he said, Hey, I just got it. Uh, an audition to be a power ranger. They keep calling me back and I'm like, do it. And so he, he went and he auditioned and he got cast as the red ranger, which was amazing. And then, uh, what era of power rangers are we talking about? Is this like Jason that we all know was like the red ranger is like, like, I think power rangers kind of, no, Jason, Jason was when I was a kid. He was the first red ranger that I ever saw. Uh, this, uh, young man played Jaden. Okay. Uh, he it's Alex Hartman. He super nice guy, super yeah. talented. He worked super hard and his best bud joined sword fighting at the same time. Right. And his name's Azim Rizk in a subsequent season. He got to play the black Ranger who at some point turned into the green Ranger during that his, his time as a power Ranger. And Man, freaking power Rangers was, are awesome, dude. You're bringing all this back. I haven't thought about power Rangers in forever. That is awesome. I know. <laughs> Man. I know. So it, wait, it was like, so they, awesome. But like when we were kids, like weren't they, they, they wasn't the actors that we saw. Like wasn't the, those were the Japanese actors, like in the costumes. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's it's actually this true. Really, it's this really cool mix. So yeah. <laughs> I, I guess Saban acquired the rights to the footage of right. the Japanese series. Mm-hmm. And he interspliced it with American performers right. for the, the mask off sequences. So he just intercut the, the original Genius. footage. It, it was such an inexpensive way to be able to produce this, this what at the time is for a live action show, very high mm-hmm. production. And he was doing it on the super cheap. And at some point they realized it's tough to keep these kids on on the payroll for this long. So they no started doing, doing almost like an instituted recast every mm. couple seasons where they would, they would find some story reason why, why the cast had to roll over. And I, I to be honest, I haven't really followed Power Rangers very closely, but I certainly was very interested in uh, what my, my students and friends were doing with it. 
Yeah. And uh, so it was it was cool to hear how they do the ADR for they, when they're in the suits, because obviously they're not performing any of that. Right. And they, they were quite capable, both of them. Uh, Alex was a very skilled sword fighter, so he got to do some sword fighting stuff. And Azim uh, was really developing his parkour skills, so they mm. let him do a lot of stuff. It seemed like the stunt coordinator kind of would figure out what what your skills were, what you're capable of, and they tried to craft some of the action sequences around that, yeah, which is cool. Okay, okay. So you were on your journey a little bit here, like talking about meeting your wife. Okay, so you're sword fighting, training the Power Uh, Rangers. About the time that they joined, Alex and Azim, uh, uh, my wife Natalie also joined. And when I'm in an instructor capacity or or teaching or coaching capacity i'm like my eye is not on the prowl i'm not that type of guy so i'm (laughs) you're focused (laughs) i'm not like looking looking for some potential hookup sure so so my wife doesn't know like where i'm at as far as that's concerned but as she described to me later she said that she was talking to one of the teachers or i'm sorry uh the 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 woman who was at the desk where you sign up for the classes and I walk into the class and, and she's my friend, actually Christy's like, Hey, that's TJ. He's going to be your teacher. And Natalie says, you walked in. And when you did the light behind you created this like path. And I just saw this glowing light and this halo of fluff and curls. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) that's my, that's my teacher. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So she was my student for a couple of years. And then at that point, uh, she, she works in, in the film industry also. She's a, a producer, production manager, yeah, production court coordinator, that kind of stuff. And she was just looking for an entertaining and exciting way to be able to train, mm-hmm. uh, like to stay in, stay in shape. And she yeah. thought, Hey, stage combat, that sounds fun. I'll, yeah. I want to swing around some broadswords. Mm-hmm. And, we had a pretty fun class. It was pretty, a lot of, we did exciting stuff all the time. Who doesn't want to swing around a broadsword? And Honestly, I hadn't slap. thought about it before this conversation, <laughs> but now that you mentioned it, yeah, I kind of want to think about like where maybe I could do this. Uh, yeah, well, you, did, think, you I, did it. You got to do it in Skyward Sword. So it's like, imagine true. doing that, that for real. I'd break so a wrist, pretty fun. I'd break her. I, I, I really have to work on some serious form or I don't know. Get a, get a good coach. You'd be able get to some do tape it. going. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, sometimes, yeah, you say it. So you say she was, joke, was she visiting? You have to. Was she visiting? No, California? she lived. She, she lived in California also. Okay, but uh, like, she's she... from from New York. And oh, then oh, okay. Her parents. I, I know we got this confusing citizenship thing. So her parents yeah. are are from Taiwan. Okay, and she was born in New York. Yeah, but because she's she's directly related to Taiwan citizens, she's able to apply for citizenship. Mm-hmm. And so she's a citizen of Taiwan also. And my children, because they are directly related to a citizen of Taiwan, my three children are also citizens. So mm-hmm. I have what's called an open ARC, which means I can stay here mm-hmm. by virtue of my marriage to my wife. Sure. And we're, but I feel like the last time you and I talked, you were in America. Is that true? Or did I just not realize that you've been a, like on the other side of the I've planet been, this whole time? Uh, I've been here for two years. Okay. Yeah, I think. Okay, so because we did a, um, we did a me thing back in the day, like a, a smash. I was in I was in L.A. when that happened. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah. that was pretty cool. Yeah, no kidding. 
I mean, oh man, I mean, you're, you're wearing the, you're wearing the shirt too, the me time and everything. Are you still doing, are you still doing stuff like that? Is it like, is it, are things different on the content creation side? What's, what's going on? Mm, yeah, they, they just tend to evolve. For me, the, anything that I've done with Nintendo or me stuff has always just been a little side hobby, just per- yeah. pursuing a, a, another interest of mine. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that I find I will always do without fail, it's, I almost never deny myself a passion. Like yeah. If it's something that's like really speaking to me, I, I go after it and I go after it hard. I love that. And, and so with, with the me shows, I, I, I just got this bug when Amiibo were first uh, announced like, Hey, this is kind of like what I'm doing in, in real life where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm training these fighters and we're, we're yeah. pairing against each other. How cool! I, I'm just curious to see what would I happen. Totally like, like, like which one of these amiibo would would really win? And I thought I'm just gonna do with the like the main starting characters that were in the original Smash, mm-hmm. and then I just got all swept up in in that amiibo craze. And I was like, why? Why just do eight when there's potentially fifty plus total characters? <laughs> uh, I, I didn't anticipate at the time that it was going to take Nintendo several years to be able to release them all. Yeah. So I, I, I really did take on a project that, that dramatically scaled up in, in scope beyond what, what I imagined and beyond what maybe if I knew it was going to be that much work to start with, I might have done it a little bit differently, but I have no regrets about it because right. I'm, I'm very proud of that show. I put a lot of work into that show mm-hmm. and I, I met a lot of great people through that show. Absolutely. Uh, you, yourself included. And that that was really it was really cool to be able to. When I first started, I was like, I could do this completely by myself, just one like one hundred percent. I don't need at the time. I was doing a lot of things where I needed cast and crew and and oh, yeah. camera operators, and and it was extremely cost prohibitive and time prohibitive. I had to deal with everyone's schedules. I was like, I want to make a show that's just me, like one hundred percent produced by myself. Yeah, and because just talking about myself isn't interesting. I was like, well, let's just go with that common video game trope of having the dark version because I want these characters to argue anyway. So mm-hmm. having a, a hero TJ and a dark TJ just makes sense. And so it's, good. It's, pay, it's playing homage to my my favorite villain in the Legend of Zelda series, which is Shadow Link, Dark Link. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like the dark side of the hero. It, that was our backup always... name for our son, Shadow Lincoln. Well, it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty close. <laughs> Maybe maybe that'll that'll be a journey for him one day. <laughs> That's awesome. Shadow Lincoln. Yeah. So it, it was at some point I was like, do I want to make this dramatically harder for myself? Yeah. To get involved with with more of the community. And the community was so passionate surrounding Amiibo when it first yeah. started. That I was like, you know what? I know this is gonna make it a lot harder, but let's try to get a guest in every episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really proud and and pleased and grateful to to all of the scores of people who were willing to be on the show and there was a guest for every single one uh yourself included it It was was unreal for for people who don't realize how that show is assembled because it doesn't quite make sense once you see it (laughs) (laughs) uh it's a conversation between hero tj dark tj and the guest however the guest is not a party to the conversation right the guest just gets like five prompts i just ask them five questions and they reply to those questions, and then I build a conversation around what they said. So a lot of trust is being placed in me that I'm not going to leave somebody with egg on their face and not not 
make them look the fool. And I'm really surprised how how generous people were with with that trust. And, and I tried my best to not betray anybody with how they appeared in, in the final episodes. One of the things that really jumped out to me through that experience, and I'm going to have to remember to like put a link to at least my my episode, um, was that you, I don't know, if, I don't know where in your sort of calculations on this, this, this came into play, but you had some sort of awareness that like you, you were bringing people on who were not performers like you, right? So, and, and sometimes when you throw a camera, even though a lot of us are content creators, we're not, we're not actors, Right. So it could have been worse. I feel like if you had set it up so that like you gave us a set of lines, which would have been very natural for you and something you're very familiar with, you could have put like a script in some in front of somebody else. And say like act this out and it probably would have been way worse. And it seemed like there's almost like a little bit of a nod that like, yeah, the person voicing this actually isn't really in on it. But somehow that made it that much more entertaining. It made it fit that much better. I don't know. Was that a consideration that people weren't necessarily like an actor that you're, you're scripting or yeah. Where did that all come in? What I was trying to do at least consciously was to make it as easy for people as possible so that they didn't get discouraged. If, if it was too much work, if I was asking too much of people, I think it would have turned people off. But by saying, Hey, here's, here's five prompts. Just Mm -hmm. say, give, give your honest answer, honest opinion uh, on what these are, which mostly was like, give some kind of greeting Say who who you think is going to win in a fight between these two people. Yeah. Let us know where people can find you on social media so and think, things along those lines. Yeah. And so most people kind of provided more or less what I expected because yeah. I was at least somewhat familiar with the personalities that I was approaching. So I kind of had some idea about, although sometimes people surprised me. Sometimes some things that people said were hilarious. Sometimes I would I would try to as much as was possible connect people with character matchups that had some sort of meaning to them. Sure. Although it, yeah. it wasn't always possible. I think in your case, I, I had a particular mad. Yeah. Like was it Pitt and Bayonetta? I think so. Uh, yeah. That was just the one I had to fill because Bay- Bayonetta took so long to come out. That mm-hmm. your, your, <laughs> your, your episode funny. was actually uh, one of two that I skipped. Because yeah. I, I I wanted to be able to keep making progress on the show, and I could go into round two if I just put off the last couple fights of round one. So yeah. Cloud and Cloud and Bayonetta, I just I waited like a couple years till I made those two episodes. I was really grateful that you jumped in and and uh, nabbed that one. You did an awesome job. It was so funny to me. Well, it's I, I wish I would have watched maybe some of the other ones uh, to at least at least get a sense of what the heck I was even in for. But like that was back. I'm looking through our our messages, and this is back in I think 2017. It looks like was so we're we're going back like we're going back a ways, man. Yeah, yeah. and you know it was one of those things of just I was and, and Bobby and I used to talk about this all the time. Like, what is happening right now? Like, how are how are we finding and how are other people finding us? Like that this connection that was kind of happening, and I don't know if this is more of a normal thing now, and that people just kind of expect this to happen when you go out on the internet. You're going to meet cool people and like-minded people and maybe meet some friends and stuff. But like, that was not the expectation at all. And then for a, for to, to meet cool people and then to be part of something like this, it was like you did this. And then, and then Gary gray, I don't know if you know, Gary gray, Gary gray did a, he had me voice something as well that was animated. And it's just like the talent that is out there was just, so it was never about me giving up any time or feeling like off put about anything. It was just like, this is awesome, man. Like, this is really like, like I felt like a kid 
just creating stuff felt like you know neighbor matt and i as you know five six seven year olds just drawing and 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 tracing mega man instruction booklets it was just like that but you know in the in 2017 with computers and animation like of course this is what kids who grew up doing that would grow up to do this now we're we're recording voiceover and putting it to to me's and creating nintendo videos on the internet it seems very natural yeah sean like basically the things that i occupy my time with now as an almost i turned 40 this year i'll be i'll be 40 on on christmas eve the things that i occupy my time with are the exact same things that would have occupied my time at four except now i have more means so like at four i would have done this with paper and a pencil and crayon yeah. And now I, I'm advanced enough in Adobe After Effects where if I have this image in my mind, I can m- bring it to life. And yeah. I just never lost, for better or for worse, I never lost that childlike wonder about, yeah. about creating. And, and so somebody said, like, who did I make this show for? Like, it, it's, right. it's, a, it's an adult middle-aged man yeah. talking to himself <laughs> about... Nintendo plastic toys. I, yeah. I, I can't honestly tell you who the audience is, but I can tell you with certainty who I made it for. I made it for me. Yeah. It was a super self-indulgent project. And yeah. every single bit of Nintendo content that is was created by me online, whether it's Custom mm-hmm. Conquest or Me V Me or Smash Supremacy or um, the Me Weekly that I do now, it is 100% for myself. If yeah. it resonates with people, if it finds an audience, then... I think that's amazing. I think that's fantastic because I can commiserate with people over our shared appreciation and love for Nintendo products. It just makes people smile. Mm -hmm. What do your kids think of this? How old are your? Can you? I don't. I always want to be careful. Like if people don't want to talk about their kids or whatever, I'm very open about it. But if you you don't want to talk about your kids right now, I'm I'm very open about my kids. Like what? What do they think about this? And yeah, where are they on their journeys? For them, it's normal. So they don't like a lot of the things that. I think I kind of give them a skewed perspective of what a normal dad is like. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't, <laughs> look, at my, look what's behind me, man. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it looks yeah. amazing. Don't we all? I want to go, yeah. go play with all that stuff. Anytime, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Amiibo. Yeah. It's, and my, it's, daughter, my daughter's eight, yeah. and she was born into the whole Amiibo craze. So she yeah. could name every single Nintendo character before she could do the alphabet. I love it. And yeah. And I was weirdly proud of that for some reason. Yeah, of course. And my oldest son is six, and then my youngest son is four. Yeah, yeah, that's so all, all two years apart. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. we have this plan in our head of what we want. Like I said to my wife, "Let's have a honeymoon baby," and then two years to the day, let's just do that. And she was like, "Okay." And sometimes our plans. I had a friend who I was working with at the time in a stunt show at Universal Studios. And he said, hey, uh, just so you know, it doesn't just happen like that. You know, you don't just Mm -hmm. decide you want to have a baby. The stars need to align. My wife and I tried for two years before we had a kid. Mm -hmm. And it dawned on me for the first time. I was like, you know, I've never in my life tried to have a kid. So it didn't occur to me. Like everything else I do, it doesn't occur to me. Like, I'm going to try to do a backflip. It doesn't occur to me that I can't until, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. until I discover that I can't. And sure. then you make the necessary, you learn what you need to know to be able to get to where you need to get to. Mm-hmm. So I went into this whole baby making process aware suddenly for the first time that it doesn't always happen. Well, also, uh, you know, there's, a, I don't know about you, but like, there's definitely like this warning shot or a warning that you've been given for years and years that like, even if you think about, 
you know, doing the thing, then somebody's getting pregnant. You're going to be on the hook for the rest of your life. Like you, you kind of have that, <laughs> you know, and maybe it might even, my wife could kind of describe that a little bit even more like from a, from a woman's perspective, like just, just don't even do it. I think it was in mean girls. Like if you have sex, you will get pregnant and die. Like the, the consequences are dire. You're you right. Know? And they were it's, instant. It's definitely a distinct possibility. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That, 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 that's that a better is, way to choose it. That is definitely the way that, that humans were designed. It does mm-hmm. happen. We know that. But did you, fact. so did, did you will this into the way that you thought things would happen or did, did you guys have some delays as well? No, it was, you had your honeymoon baby. You know, we, we, we had, uh, without getting too personal on you, we, we had an abstinent engagement. And so we basically know the earliest possible point of conception, which would have been the honeymoon. And our yeah. baby was born nine months to the day. Yeah. To the yeah. day yeah. on my birthday. On your birthday, that's awesome. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, so, you have a lot of these like signs that like I don't know that things are things are going all right, man. Like I told you, it's a it's a charmed life. So yeah, just not nothing nothing but extreme gratitude because I know that's that's not the experience of everyone. So I just try to always be just unbelievably grateful that and and, and to try to savor each day and to t- to take time. take stock of of the innumerable blessings because mm-hmm. no as we know well enough no day is guaranteed so think about just... that so much right now man like i already was and certainly yeah every day as as we all get older you know it's just what else can we do um talk to me about the move though talk to me about like you, you sort of i don't know if the word is uprooted that almost sounds violent but like like you've, you you must have a completely different we, lifestyle yeah it it was not so much as uprooting as we were, we found ourselves that we no longer had roots and we had, Interesting. Be, we were able to create this mobile existence at, at some point, my wife's job kind of transitioned. I, I was, once I became a dumb, I'm like trying to jumble all these different thoughts into one thing. Let's, let's start with stunts became very difficult once I had kids because okay. people would call me on the phone and say, Hey, you want to swing your sword at 3 PM in the afternoon? And I'd be like, yeah, sure, whenever, I'll be there. I, I, I never said no to anything. I took every, took every job. I always did it. You live lean as a professional sword fighter, but you're living the passion. I was living right. the dream. And that was certainly enough for me. If, what do you if mean somebody you live lean? Like you have like, like in terms of like dollars, material? You, yeah, yeah, you go. There were many, many times where, where I didn't know where the next paycheck was going to come from. Yeah. And then... Disney hires you for that. Universal hires you for that. Like you, you just, I, I'm grateful to say that there was always something and yeah. there was always something to keep it going. I just didn't always know where it was. Mm-hmm. And I just kept the faith that there would be something yeah. and there, there was always something, but it was not like, uh, I, I was, I never had money burst out of my pockets. I had, I had enough money to get by all the time. Just, mm-hmm. just enough. My wife, had a little bit steadier of a job, but then once she, she got to this point where almost everything that she did was on location. So she'd be leaving Los Angeles anyway. And we didn't really want to live like that. We didn't, we didn't want to live away from each other. And once the kids came into the picture and with each subsequent kid, I found myself turning down more and more work. Right. And so I did turn to editing more and more. Mm -hmm. And occasionally that was editing my own stuff. Sometimes it was doing, uh, contract work or commissioned work for 
filmmaking friends and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I still do that on, on occasion, but we were like, my, our kid's almost five. She's about to start school and we don't want to go to school in California. So yeah. we, we went back to Los, uh, Illinois, which is where mm -hmm. I'm from. And my daughter did her first year of school in, in kindergarten in Illinois. And we stayed with my parents and it was just an incredible time to be there because she was born in the same year as, as both of my brother's kids. Yeah. So, Oh, that's awesome. There were, there were all three of they'd never been able to spend any time with their cousins. And now they're like living on each other's laps for a whole year. And, and it gave my, gave my wife and I time to take stock of what we were doing. She was still going out and doing shows like um, music fests and the Super Bowl things th like like big events that would big live show events that would happen. Mm -hmm. She'd go out and do, but it wasn't really super fulfilling. And I just started to get the sense that she was a little bit unsatisfied with her life. And I said, let's, let's make a change. I, I could wow. tell that, that, that this isn't work for you. It could be anything. Let's move to Taiwan. Yeah. And, and I just kind of threw it out there. Like that was your just, idea. Just that, just like I, that, I just, just throwing it. Out I there. just said, but I just said it. And then she looked at me and went, <laughs> Really? And you like, somehow oh, knew that that's what she oh, wanted. Oh, this is it's, happening. Yeah. Does it? Is that what that kind of? Is that what that means? Like, you did you kind of think that that's maybe what she wanted? Did you get a sense that I didn't? Like, but I, uh, but I said something that was big enough for her to know that no matter what she wanted to do, I was ride or die. Like right. I, I wanted, I wanted her to know that she didn't need to think small. That wherever she oh, wanted to I go, love that. wherever she wanted to go, I would follow. I never thought we were actually going to move to Taiwan. I just said it. Sure, but yeah, um, but but it's one second after, by her response, like, oh, oh, this is happening. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you. So, okay, so she says, oh, you get that sense of shit. That's what she wants. You go, shit. <laughs> what did I just uh, say? No, no, because I'm. I, I was. I, it wasn't it. just yeah. a, a vain platitude. I was. I was very sincere yeah. in in my willingness to. She she is as supportive as a human being can possibly be. I yeah. say, hey, wife, I want to make this show involving all these stupid little plastic Nintendo figures. And they're really hard to find. It's like, what yeah. can I do? Uh, how yeah. can I, how can I, how can I help? I know that. So, yeah. So there are many times where she like waited outside of Toys R Us because I couldn't be there and get some exclusive Greninja or some other oh, Amiibo nonsense it. or like yeah. pre-ordering things on her phone for me. It, it, it's, <laughs> it was really, it, it showed me that it didn't really matter what I wanted to do or, uh, whether it was important in real life or not, my wife had my back and, and I yeah. needed her to know that it, that it was reciprocated. So it's, it's so funny. Cause I remember when, um, when Chelsea and I got married and I remember thinking, cause like I, we we're still kind of like figuring a lot of things out. Like we were moving in together for the first time and a lot of things were new. So with that, I think there was, you know, there was good times and there was conflict as well. And I remember thinking like at one point, I'm like, am I really marrying this chick? Be like based on like our, our joint, love for for video games and, and and as time has gone on like that was definitely part of it there was so there was so much more to it but i i, I remember thinking in a bit a, a bit of a conflict stage for us i'm like i don't know if this is such a great idea but the, honestly it was the best idea because it was more than just like the that we both like video games it was that we could be ourselves around each other and like the, so so from that sense it's more than just the games it was such this acceptance and this support for one another, which is like the, at least from my perspective, it's just like that foundation of what now allows us to have our kids together. And we just don't, we just get each other, you know, and it, it just starts, it maybe you can boil it down to something very simple or maybe even childish, but it's more than that, which is like, I wouldn't have thought of that 
about 10 years ago, which is kind of nice to and good to reflect on every once in a while. Absolutely. And it's the single most important decision a person can make in their entire life is who yeah. you care, who you choose to share your life with. Mm-hmm. And by extension, like uh, obviously your life partner is probably the most significant, but even your peer group, even your friends, like who, oh, yeah. who you choose to spend your time with is going to inform a lot about your life, the kind mm-hmm. of life that you have. And yeah, I I've always like I... been surrounded by a really incredible network of people. Okay, so who who has been around you? Like, who's sort of like guided your your path? Uh, in addition to like, obviously your your home as a kid, not standard, not really having all the the foster kids coming in and out of here, and also like I think just a you have like this general natural sense of being adaptable. Like you could you can go from ch- just outside Chicago to L.A. to Taiwan. Like you you have a very adaptive I think personality. So who you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting to hear that because I think of myself as super like uh, stubborn, like super mm-hmm. non-adaptable. Focused. <laughs> maybe, maybe focused is really dedicated is maybe a different way, but you know, it doesn't make uh, you rigid. Because I, I couldn't do I, what you do. Like I live, my parents where I grew up, I'm like, I'm like 17 minutes away door to door. You know what I mean? And I'm not going anywhere. And you I know, have... it's, it's, it's a little bit antithetical to my personality, I, yeah. I think, it is the moving. Because my, my tendency is to want to, to have like a, a home base. Like yeah. I, 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 I'll go anywhere, but I want a place to return to. Like sure. that's, that's important to me. And by having that place shift, that is a point of discomfort for me. I didn't like moving from Illinois to California, right. but I want to make a living with the sword. I needed to go to where the market was. I needed right. to go to where pe- people weren't going to hire me to swing my sword around in Chicago, mm-hmm. but I made a living for 10 years, 12 years swinging my sword around in, in Los Angeles. So, so cool. I, I, I needed to, I needed to be able to go where I needed to go to do what I wanted to do. And my passion mm-hmm. was strong enough to, to allow me to accept the discomfort that was going to follow. Sure. Moving to but Taiwan. Were you moving to thinking like, so when you go from Illinois to California, were you thinking like that's as permanent as it gets? Like, I don't know if any of us really ever think about permanence in the sense of like maybe a hundred years or whatever, but like, is that like, did you have anything afterwards? Did you think, and maybe this is my question kind of carries yeah. on to where you are right now. Like, are you in yeah. a permanent state right now? I feel like things change when you bring kids with you as well. Cause they're learning a new language or maybe they, maybe where they, um, were they were they speaking? It is a tight. I'm so dumb. What are they speaking? No, it's okay. <laughs> it's it it is is actually a little bit more confusing than it even really needs to okay. be. The the there is a Taiwanese language. Yeah, but it's really only spoken by the older generation. They learn it in school, but not enough to get proficiency. The primary language in Taiwan is Mandarin Chinese. Okay. So okay. so most people here speak Chinese. So were they speaking? Uh, that everyone back? here speaks Chinese. It's were like, they seen that back home. We. Sent my daughter to a year's worth of Mandarin school. Yeah, but it was just like three hours once a week, not really enough to form the language. Yeah, but when we moved here, out of everybody, I think it. I I was worried the most about her because we were throwing her into the deep end. She started first grade at public school. Yeah, in a, a language different than what she spoke. But to her credit, I'm so impressed and so proud. She's she's fluent. She speaks Mandarin completely fluently, wow. more fluent than my wife. What and about you? She, How are you doing? <laughs> I bring my daughter with me. Yeah. And she translates all the time. It, it's actually really 
humbling to be a 40 year old man and be completely illiterate. Yeah. I I have some language enough to get by. Sure. But I have no ability to read and I never will because it's, it's, it's not a phonetic language. You have characters that represent words and the way that you combine the characters creates different words. Mm -hmm. And it is just impossible for me. I can't even read my own kids' names. I can recognize them. I can't even read or write my own name. Yeah. Uh, That might be a place to start. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) There's been, there's been a number of times where, uh, I've had to sign for different contracts here mm-hmm. and it's like an art project. It's sure. like an art project for me. <laughs> my, my agents will sometimes take the form from me and just sign my name. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Light pencil first and go over once you get it right. And in, in yeah. Ink. Yeah. Yeah. So like, okay. So back to like the, the permanence thing, like that seems freaky to think like, is that life forever? Or do you even think that is that, is that part of the thought process? I had this idea uh, I had this idea in my mind when I moved to Los Angeles that I wanted to leave before my oldest kids started school. Yeah. And that's pretty much exactly how long I was there. And I, and I said that when I was a 22 year old kid yeah. with no kids and no, no wife, no, no idea of even bringing kids in this world. I just knew someday I wanted to be a dad. Yeah. And I also kind of knew I, I didn't want my kids to go to school in Los Angeles. Yeah. And so once we got to that point, and I was like, wow, I, I'm, I'm here. And our careers had sort of converged to a point where we didn't have to be in Los Angeles anymore. If my wife was going to have to go to, to location for her jobs anyway, yeah. we could be based anywhere. Yeah. And so it, it was good to connect with family for that year back in Illinois. Because I feel like it allowed my kids to develop a very cl- they lived like brothers and sisters yeah. with their mm-hmm. cousins for mm-hmm. that one year's time. They did Taekwondo together. I got my, my twin nephews into Taekwondo. They just got their, uh, they either just got their black belt or they're just about to get their black, black belt. belt. Holy cow. And, and so I'm really happy that, that I was able to have some impact on their lives while I was there. Mm-hmm. And now, even though they're super far apart, they have this foundation, this relation, uh, relational foundation that can carry them i think for the rest of their lives they'll always have that time that they spent together when when it was very formative and early and i realized that if my wife and i were ever going to do anything crazy travel wise that was the time because Mm -hmm. my kids had not developed any close friendships that it would be really detrimental to to sever for them and one of the things that I did as a kid that I regret is I dodged language like the plague. Mm. Uh, my, my high school even allowed music to be accepted as a foreign language. So I yeah. took four years of music. I can read and write music, yeah. uh, but you can't really use that to communicate with people. So I, I, I thought that it would be a good time to bring my kids to Taiwan so that they right. could develop uh, native language skills, yeah. which, which were, I wish that I had pursued that a little bit more myself. And it is one, one of my few regrets. So with my daughter, mission accomplished. Yeah. My, my sons are both pretty good. They don't, I wouldn't say that they have two way language skills. They understand Mandarin very well, but they, they don't speak back very well. Mm -hmm. They usually just nod and stuff. Yeah. But my, my older son starts first grade next year. Yeah. They both went to, one of them was in kindergarten last year. One of them was in preschool. And they're both going to go back this next year. So I feel like 
sometime during the school year, they'll probably both reach fluency also. Yeah. So how do you exist in all of this? Like this is, you've got kids who are kind of like going through stuff, learning language, completely different. You got to, your wife, I assume is, is probably pretty comfortable in. Yeah, she, she's, she's fluent. She says that her Mandarin is not very good, Sure, but she could talk to anybody. She's, she's, she's my way of communicating with people for the most part. Yeah. I learn little by little as I go. Uh, I have to understand basic directions. Mm -hmm. You know, this is an, uh, an odd thing. You, when I was in Los Angeles, I did all kinds of stuff like sword fighting, stunts, acting, modeling, just what, whatever I needed to do to get to the next step. And I enjoyed every minute of it, but I kind of retired from that and focused primarily on editing and writing and things that I could do by myself. But when I got here, my, my wife submitted my kids to some of the modeling agencies Mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, we get calls for mixed kids all the time. So we'll put our, our kids on your kids on our registry. Uh, they've all had a chance to, to model, which I think that they enjoy. It's it's cool for a little kid to have the opportunity to earn some money. Yeah. And I think that they like that, having having some kind of means to, to generate their own income. Mm-hmm. And the agents were, like, two agencies both responded and said, hey, uh, did your husband do any modeling? Do you think maybe he'd want to model too? Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, he did it in Los Angeles, maybe. Yeah, And so... I've like sort of blundered into modeling out here, which is pretty interesting also. No kidding. What kind of, what kind of stuff are you doing? Mostly fitness modeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people will be trying to move like uh, fitness equipment or mm-hmm. fitness products, like knee bands, or elbow bands, uh, apparel, things like that. Sure. But also sometimes there's casting for like Western CEOs. So I'll be doing like trying to sell furniture or things like that yeah Uh, i don't see myself it's always funny to me when i yeah when someone said hey kick this kick this punching bag or pull this weight like i'm in my element that's my Mm -hmm. thing but when it says sit in this chair and pretend to sip this whiskey (laughs) uh, (laughs) i've never drank alcohol in my entire life so wow i've got this guy explaining to me in chinese how what the proper way to hold a whiskey glass is and Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is surreal. I this is a, sur- a surreal experience. So still somehow like found a way to kind of have that, that home experience, but like halfway across the world. So still kind of, I don't know. Have a little it feels like home it. because my wife is here. My, yeah. my, my wife and my kids are what make it feel like home. But yeah. that feels like a very foreign experience. I'm doing something that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. To, to, the, the modeling is always foreign because yeah. it's it's yeah. like emphasizing how foreign everything is because right. i almost nobody on set i can understand mm-hmm. the the way that sets run in taiwan has a vague similarity to how sets run in yeah. the u.s but that's also very different mm-hmm. and so i'm uh i, I appreciate the differences yeah the, there's there's more of an emphasis on efficiency where I find that a lot of the projects that I worked on in the U.S., there's this saying, like, one for safety. Like, even after you know you got mm-hmm. it, you yeah. still shoot five shoot more. Mm-hmm. And, and here, there are many, many times where I just do one take. Yeah. And, and I, I, it, it's like, oh, okay. But hey, yeah. hey pull, 
run from here to there as fast as you can. Okay. And like, okay, moving on. Got it. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. They're really confident that, that they got that. And I worked with uh, a European company out here. They're based in Taiwan, but the, the person who runs it's European. And we did a more, more Western style shoot where there was Mm -hmm. a lot of play, a lot, like a thousand shots go off. And her observation was, was that it's not a matter of confidence. Like I had perceived it as confidence from, from the Taiwanese filmmakers. Okay. And she's like, it's not confidence, it's budget. They only have so much time. They got to mm-hmm. get, get all this stuff in. But I really think that it's disingenuous to say that there isn't also a very high level of competency mm-hmm. where they, they know what they're doing. They're bringing their A game and they're prepared yeah. to succeed on the first try. Yeah. And if they don't succeed on the first try, then they they want to get to the point where you get it as soon as possible. Sure. Sometimes I struggle with what they want. Actually, honestly, out of everything I've done, I've done some stunts out here. I've done some jumps, some running, some extra crazy exercise stuff. I worked out with a weight vest for eight hours straight. The hardest thing that I did was hold that stinking whiskey glass. That, <laughs> <laughs> I just I just could not quite remember the way that you had to hold it. And the guy's trying to say to me, if you hold it a certain way, it warms the drink. And so you want to hold it in a way that doesn't warm the beverage. And Mm. I'd still mess it up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd still mess it up. How long can you keep this up though? Like, is this, again, like this, a permanence thing. Like how long can you be in a foreign land like this and like not know the language? And yeah, like, is this, is this forever? We came out here with a plan of staying for one year. Yeah. Okay. And after about <laughs> two months, we were like, a year is not long enough. This, yeah. we, we really want to stay here for a bit. Yeah. Let's do two years. So within a few minutes of being here, we knew we were going to be here for at least a couple years. Yeah. And then a little ways after that, we were like, why put a number on it? Like things, mm. things are working. Things are going well. Cool, let's man. just, let's just be here while it's going well. And then all of the pandemic stuff hit. Yeah. And that just threw the entire world into a spiral. Mm-hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with Taiwan, but their pandemic response was somewhat unprecedented. So we, we lived largely in a bubble yeah. where we were untouched. We, we just had a normal life yeah. for, for almost, almost that entire time span and only, Two months ago, did we did we have to initiate lockdown protocols, and it's it's easing up now. So we're back to the gym. We had, we had, oh, okay. we had like two two months outside of thereabouts, where where most things were closed. Mm-hmm. You didn't really leave your apartment unless you needed to for some reason or another. Yeah, uh, but now we're kind of reaching back to that state of normalcy. And I hope it continues to trend in that direction. And do you see, like, do you stay in touch with everything that's going on back home and seeing a lot of, like, yeah, the- I get, I get a lot of new, I actually think that you have a dramatic advantage being uh, an expat or a foreigner yeah. abroad with the news that you get. Yeah. Because it subtracts a lot of the, I don't, I don't want to take a, a controversial slant with this conversation, but it cuts out a lot of the partisanship. Right. It cuts out yeah. a lot of the uh, the politicization. I'm not sure yeah. if that's a word. It doesn't politicize the the statistics to suit a certain end. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like as far as my 
my countrymen are concerned, I had a year advantage on the facts. Yeah. Because I'm receiving a lot of the same information that they are from the Taiwan media. Yeah. But the Taiwan media doesn't really have any of the incentives that the American media has to advance a certain agenda. Right. So, so uh, I, I feel really, really bad that it's reached a point where people are at each other's throats about mm-hmm. things that should just shouldn't really be that way. Wish you wish it would just like bring us together. And at the same time, it's like just as disheartening because it's done the exact opposite. Like there's this done. one thing that we should all be like up against together. And yeah, yeah. Well, I, man, I, I, how do you, how do you, are you fitting games in, in your lifestyle? Like you're probably doing about 400 push ups a day. I don't more, know, yeah. Like- yeah. More, more than I'm living more of the life that I want to live now than I ever have been. I probably spend anywhere between three and four hours a day at the gym. Yeah. And I, and, and I probably spend maybe every day, three or four hours a day at the gym. Dude, it's my, it's what I live for. I, I love it. That's awesome. That's amazing. Okay, so what's a typical day like? You get there and you're like, okay, what, what do you like? What's today? You, you haven't gone. Yet, I kind of right? build my my workouts around the classes that are on those particular days. Okay. So, I I I learned as I got a little bit older that my muscles repair a lot faster than my joints and my ligaments. This is yeah. this is more of a oh, newer yeah. a, more of a newer development for me. Maybe yeah, when I was in my twenties, I could I could lift, let's say chest, for example, on Monday and chest would be ready to go again on Wednesday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now the same is true muscularly. Sure. Elbows are not ready to go again (laughs) on Wednesday. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So you make a few adjustments, the weights get lighter, the reps get higher. Yeah. The, and the, the rest period gets longer. Yeah. But I can work my back while my chest is resting. So mm-hmm. I, I still can do every day Yeah. without, I just need to put another day in between. So yeah. I used to do like a two day split and now I do a three day split so that yeah. at least each body part has two days off before I have to address them again. Mm-hmm. And I am a little bit of a cardio junkie. It does impact my ability to hold size to some extent, but sure. I, I, I only cut, I can cut it back so much. I don't go jogging anymore. Yeah. I love, I love doing it. I like it, but I would rather spar with people. I would rather take a boxing class. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if I had to trade, then it's kind of like cheating in the cardio world. It's almost like, like, it's almost like a 10, 10 times. There's like a multiplier. It's like Goku training in like a hundred times gravity kind of thing. Where he's like, yeah, I could do cardio, I could do running, or I could fight somebody. Like that's way yeah. more intense. <laughs> that's way it's, more intense. It's more where my heart is. I enjoy. Yeah, I get that. I enjoy running. Like I yep. spent years with uh, this super active pair of pit bulls yeah. that they chose me, and so as a responsible pet owner, I needed to run them, and they needed to yeah. be run hard. Yeah. So I'd run for three miles a day for two yeah. years yeah. Uh, or, or longer. And then my now with no obligations to dogs, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I guess I could just do my cardio by uh, jujitsuing people and getting yeah. beat up. And that, it's, it's a nice reminder every now and then to get punched in the face, like a good, a good, like sobering sock just to put me back in my place. Yeah. 
but you don't you, look you, any worse for wear. Like you don't have like the, the, your ears look fine. You're not like your nose is like <laughs> straight from whatever I can tell. Like I broke my nose really bad when I was 13. It's yeah. actually, I, I've seen a lot of bad broken noses from obviously being in combat sports and I watch yeah. combat sports. I've yeah. never seen one worse than mine. I, w- I, w- I was, <laughs> oh, no. I was playing soccer. Yeah. And, uh, I went for a low headbutt and somebody went for a high kick and yeah. it smeared my nose across my face oh, to where it was blocking god. my eye. The nose. I, oh my god. I didn't feel any pain. I just yeah. felt, felt like the impact, like it was a really hard impact. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was concussed or something. Cause I couldn't see out of my left eye. And it's literally your nose is uh, in the way. I I'd never had a, a, a bloody nose in my whole life. Yeah. And I just kept playing like another couple of minutes went by. And then I looked down and when I looked down, black drops were coming out of my nose uh, and hitting my white shirt. And I was like, Oh, I'm bleeding from somewhere. And I went and found the coach and he goes, he looked at me like he turned white, like a ghost. Yeah. And he says, uh, he's like, Hey Sarah, can you take this kid to the nurse's office? And I'm like, so I know where the nurse's office, I can walk myself. So I get there and she's like, Ooh, yeah, you, you're going to go. <laughs> you're going to need to go to the doctor. And yeah. I said, Oh, that's fine. I just hope it's not broken. And she goes, I don't want to scare you, honey, but it looks pretty broken. Yeah. And that was where I was like, what? And when I looked at it, I almost threw up. Like yeah. ne- never any pain, but like the sight of it was really horrific. Yeah. Uh, so the specialist pushed it back more or less to where it needs to be. Uh, but more I or less, not- yeah. Could have been worse. <laughs> Oh, I just lost your audio, man. No. Am I back? There, we're back. Yeah, got it. But maybe you don't How have How about now? How about now? How about now? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah, we're okay. good. Uh, so I don't take too many shots to the nose. Maybe that made me a little hypersensitive to taking nose shots. But mm-hmm. I get hit in the eyes and the mouth all the time. Bloody bloody lips are a pretty regular thing for me. We wear mouth guards. So I don't want to yeah. get any teeth knocked out. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing like I, I know I train at the UFC gym, but I'm not exactly in a UFC match. We're not trying to hurt sure. each other. We're 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 playing. We're trying to train. Some of these guys go out and fight. Yeah, like some of the guys who I train with, they they go and they do matches out here, and it's exciting. Mm-hmm. But I think I might have gotten past that point in, in my life where. For me, it's more about the, the, the sparring, the training, and advancing the technique, and yeah. not necessarily going out into the arena. I had my day. I had my day in the arena. Now it's still the training. Let me let me ask you this before we close things out about like you know you've been doing this your whole life. You've been you've been fighting your way out of the womb. <clears throat> I think you said. Yep. <laughs> for, for you know, and UFC, I think has captured a lot of people's attention throughout various points in their lives like is there a point where it's like mm, maybe now it's not a great time to get into fighting or are you seeing people in all stages of their life like kind of getting into training in all those various ways i think that it's never too late to get into it but you also do need to keep your expectations in check like if you've sure. never thrown a punch in your life yeah and you're almost 40 yeah. go take a boxing class sure. but don't expect that you're going to be the next heavyweight champion of the world right so it no matter where you are in your life there's a starting point. Yeah. And uh, I, I say it all the time. You might've even heard me say it. I don't really think of fitness as a destination. It's not a place that you can get to. 
It's an mm-hmm. ongoing adventure. And adventures have twists and turns. I might have some months where, where maybe I'm dealing with a particular injury, but I'm not going to stop. I have to yeah. find a way around it. I still yeah. have to rehabilitate that injury, but I also need to persevere and, and find some way past that. So maybe my training has to evolve, or maybe I don't like the results that I'm getting in the mirror. I have to adjust the diet. I have yeah. to like make tweaks here or there just to get to where, where I want to be. But it's an ongoing experiment. Mm-hmm. And n- you, f- you figure out what works and you keep that in there. Yeah. And if something doesn't work, you remove it and you plug something else in and eventually you find something that works for you. Yeah. There's, there's definitely many different ways to, to get to where you want to be. It's funny because I think we, as you're kind of talking about that, I I'm plugging back in, of course, I've just been, you know, it's, it's an outside perspective, but thinking about all the parallels that you just said in terms of fitness diet and that whole journey with your life journey, that it's sort of like, it seems like there's, there's just an acceptance of, this is how it's going to be. And there's going to be twists and there's going to be turns. But if I get hit like this, I'm going to have to adjust in this way, whether it's your fitness or your, your life or where your family is situated. I feel like that's a pretty commonality um, that you've just Mm. been kind of bringing along. I'm I'm taking that away from this conversation big time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you brought this up a little bit with, with wanting to get your kids into sports for discipline Mm -hmm. and, and, and like maybe link in martial arts or something like that. And I think to some extent, there's no greater gift that you could give yourself than controlled suffering. And, yes. and, yeah. and by that, I mean, when I go to the gym and I'm, I'm curling weights, my biceps don't want to do that. Yeah. My biceps are screaming. It's creating mm-hmm. discomfort, but I'm choosing, it's elected discomfort. I'm choosing yeah. to do that to myself. But then when I find myself in a situation that's imposed suffering, I have already like, experienced something uncomfortable mm-hmm. that I had control over. So it allows me to be able to persevere through discomfort. That's maybe not of my choosing. There's no doubt. At, and you've probably experienced that when you're running too. Like there are times when you're running and you just, you feel like you can't take another step. There's a stitch in your side. You've got mm-hmm. diminished lung capacity, but you're not home yet. Yeah. You still yeah. got more. Or, Literally, or that's what I like about cardio and that and like travel cardio, like bike riding or running or anything where you actually have to like, you got to get yourself back home. Even just walking, <laughs> like, I, what am I going to do? Like lay like yeah. in the grass over here? <laughs> I right. can't do anything. I've got to get myself back home. Like there's definitely, there's definitely something there. I mean, but it, that's, that to me is sort of like just the heart of discipline, I guess. Yeah is whether it's physical fitness or work ethic or whatever, like studying, like it's just, you're doing something you don't really want to do, which never really makes sense in the moment, especially when you're young. It doesn't seem like, well, I could just not do this. And that seems to make a lot more sense. But, you know, as years have gone on and life just naturally gets tougher in, in a lot of different ways, having those experiences, whether they directly translate or indirectly, just give you that that toolkit to like, man, I've been in a shitty situation before. I've dealt with hardship before. And I don't know, there's something kind of magical in at least my brain that works where you go, like it doesn't necessarily differentiate. Well, when you were, when you're struggling before, it was because you chose to have three jobs while you're going through school. And it's like, well, that didn't matter. It actually doesn't really matter. There's right. a, there's a, I don't know, some sort of train, there's muscle memory that in your brain that kind of happens. And I, I have yeah, a huge I think so appreciation for that. Yeah. I'm really impressed at, at your newfound commitment to your fitness. I think that that's oh, awesome. I'm, 
I got to get back to it. Like, I really thank you, but I really like I'm kicking myself a little bit because it's so much harder to get back to it. You know, like I, I was I was in pretty good shape before. Nothing like where you're at, but I was in pretty good shape and just like it doesn't take long to just lose it all. But it's um, it's actually been through a lot of reflection. And th- this is why one of the reasons I want to talk to you tonight is because like or this morning, I guess, for you. Um, like I feel like reflection, whether it's like a dedicated meditation or whatever it is, like just a self-awareness of who you are at your core, what you actually want to do, and then just creating like an action plan to go do that. Like that, that resonates so, so much with me. And I see that so much with you. And there's a lot of people that we surround ourselves with that I see that with. And it's like, I want to be around people like that, like who go, this is what I want to do. This is what I got to do to get what I need. And then you go do it. Like there's, it's hard to do that. It's hard to know what you want. And I feel like any, any way that I can surround myself around people who, who can demonstrate how to reflect on that and discover what it is that will bring some sort of positivity or joy or whatever you might want to call it. I think there's something to be said about that because it's harder than it, it might seem. Maybe as a kid, things are provided for you or whatever, but at a certain point, you're kind of on your own on that front. So just figuring I, out how to I do it. I appreciate you saying that. Um, what, what I want to know is your secret to unlocking more than 24 hours in a day. <laughs> like with the, with the amount of content that you generate, it doesn't even seem like you're beholden to the laws of space and time. Wife, the wife, it's the wife lottery. That's, that's the big secret. Big <laughs> you want <one> to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we can definitely connect on, on that front. And it's, um, what I'll say that, to that is I, I really feel like Chelsea and I, when we get together, it's like we're greater than the sum of our parts. Like we just we we hand off and we are we're great partners. But we I think together we do find that way to uh, like we're not we're very to the to your, actually to your point about like how things are working over there when you're when you're making a shoot. Like we are both very like in tune with this is efficient or not efficient. And if something is not efficient, we're like, mm mm. It's got to go. We've got to do something a little bit differently because there are so many hours, only so many hours in the day. We want to get so many things done and we just, we support each other so much. So that, that's really, that's truly the secret. And also just, I I think community too, I think you can connect with that too. Like there's this, maybe there's a performance element to it as well, where if it's resonating with people and people are engaged with you, then that it fills your tank, man. It fills, it fuels you up. It gives you energy and it keeps you going. Like, I feel like I just blinked and now it'll be six years of doing this show. Yeah. It, hundreds that is amazing. of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I also think, and maybe again, like as parents, we can look at you, something magical happens when that first kid is born and you're like, I didn't think I could operate with this little sleep, but yeah, that's a, it's a different chapter of your life. You know, in, in my twenties, I was sleeping all the time. dude. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I had almost the exact opposite effect where I was sleeping like two hours a night just oh, wow. because there was too much that I wanted to do yeah. and not enough time in the day. And then yeah. once I had a kid, I I get up at the time I normally would get up and there's just this little thing Velcroed to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not going to move. I'm Close just going to I'm just going to enjoy this. I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to enjoy being the dad to this wonderful little being that yeah. uh, I brought into this world with my wife and, and it, om- it almost doubled or tripled the amount of sleep that I got yeah. in, in a weird way, which I know is counter to most parents experience, mm-hmm. uh, well, but it, it, did, it did force me to have to slow down. That does make sense. Yeah. Cause they're not, um, at least at that point, they're not, they're not exactly bouncing off the walls, but pretty, pretty shortly afterwards you're chasing them, but it's, Oh yeah. They're, I, they're a little like nutballs all day long today. Just, yeah. Oh really? <laughs> they, they run around constantly, which is to be expected at the yeah. age that they're at. They were all doing martial arts too, but yeah, they, uh, 
gym hasn't been open for their class level yet. Mm-hmm. So they're having to do daddy training, which yeah. sometimes they love and sometimes they don't. They all love ring fit, which is good. And we've <laughs> definitely course. taken advantage of that. Yeah. I feel like you should be on the box for it, honestly. Like we should just get a, we should, even if, even if we could Photoshop it on there, we should, instead of whatever's on there, it should be you running around. I I don't know anybody who has logged more hours in ring fit than me. And that's just because I would get addicted to the game loop or I would, I would never set out to play for eight straight hours. I just, (laughs) I was like for eight straight hours more than once. And, 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 And I didn't wow. mean to because I started playing it late. I, I yeah. started playing it after the kids went to bed. So like at nine o'clock and uh, I'm like, I'm just going to just going to beat this world. And then yeah. I beat that world and I unlock new moves. I'm like, oh, I want to try that exercise out. And then the next before I know it, I have unlocked new things on the skill tree. I'm like, I want to try that out. And then before I know it, it's light outside. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, I just wow. played all night. And that happened to me a more than once oh my gosh man i i um i think maybe one of the reasons i got i I actually ended up selling it because i was playing in this room and like a lot of people in in pandemic and the quarantine everything like i got i had a real problem just being in this room like i it was it was a it was a serious sort of like mental thing for me where i'm like because like it was a very stressful time people were not being themselves especially in a work situation there's a lot of stuff kind of going on and i attached a lot of what was happening it work with this space that has a lot to do with mm. why I stand now. Cause I wanted just a different, I couldn't sit the whole time. That has a lot to do with me wanting to be a little bit more active and just again, kind of discovering what's at my core. I want to move. That's where I'm at. But at the same time, I like being lazy. I really like playing video games. So anyway, I was playing ring fit and I just attached it to this room. This was really the only place I was doing it and hearing you talk about it. And it has just kind of continued on. It, it was not a fad. Maybe like I was expecting it to be like, People still leverage that to to keep up with their fitness, and I yeah, it's, miss it's it. a legitimate like, it's really workout. good. Yeah, man. Especially I, I if wanted you were to around for like the Wii Fit days. The Wii Fit yeah. was not, uh, the, which was, I also loved, and I sure. also did. But yeah, but I'll be the first to say that Ring Fit has far more potential. Be it, right. it was actually the first justification of the tech and the Joy-Con, if you ask me. Like I, I thought yeah, the Joy-Con well were said. an utter waste of existence, and then all of a sudden. This Joy-Con comes along. I mean, the Ring-Con comes along. And I'm like, this is completely gi- legitimized the Joy-Con. Yeah, it's yeah. doing things that's gamifying this Pilates ring in a way that mm. I would never, never play with a Pilates ring like this. Right. It's, it's like, boring. I'd rather just go lift some weights. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, I have this device that allows me to combine two of my my life's passions, yeah. video games and working out in a meaningful way. And I... And, for me to advance in an RPG by virtue of my own physical endurance yeah. is next level. I mm-hmm. wish that I could take Dragon Quest Eleven, which is a game yeah. I'll never play. I yeah. just it's not my speed. But if beating that monster meant I had to physically in real life perform a certain number of squats, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. all of a sudden it's it's merging my physical reality with the trials of my character and yeah. something about that for me is super compelling. Like, mm-hmm. can you beat this monster? I don't know. Can you depress that ring again? So yeah, yeah. By, by it having to be me, it, it really personalizes the experience and, and makes it feel like I am really beating those monsters. Whereas yeah. in the game, I'm pushing buttons and not to, that's not to be reductive of the experience of a good RPG, but this particular game, it really connected with me. 
it reminds me of uh, I don't know if you if you know Jacob Rush from Nintendo Nostalgia, and he used to talk to me about when he would train in the gym. It was him trying to become Goku, like he would train to be Goku. Yeah, and we all heard that, right? And but like, and I feel like I've kind of like heard it before, but then I like you see pictures of this guy training. It's like, yeah, he's going for Goku, man. Like he's got the spirit <laughs> bomb going and everything. He's, yes. he's really after it. So like that definitely reminds me of um, of Jacob for sure, man. I want to. I'm gonna have to get that thing out here. Like you've got me fired up, man. It's the end of the night here. I'm like, I feel like I should do some push-ups or something, man. I'm ready to go. This is awesome. That's good. It's good. I'm glad. I like it. You've got me fired up, man. Well, look, like I've kept you long enough here. I'll do some zoom editing here at the end here as well. But um, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I'm glad that we carved things out. I, I'm glad the time zones and everything all all worked out and stuff. But do you want to let people know like where they can find any of your stuff? Do you want to be found on the internet? Do you want to share that kind of stuff? Sure. If you want to check out what I've been working on lately, I do a weekly Nintendo news show through the prism of me characters, and it's called Me Weekly. It goes up every Friday on the Nintendo Wire YouTube channel. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my most active account is at Custom Conquest. Love it, man. Well, thank you so much for, again, actually kind of short notice to put this together. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you have an awesome day. And I just, yeah, man, thanks for your time today. Same to you, Sean. Let's do it again sometime. What a life, man. (laughs) Honestly, I cannot imagine. I I think I've said it once or twice before, at least on the show. I live like 20, 20, 25 minutes away from where my parents live, like where I grew up. And I just cannot imagine, you know, uprooting and moving my entire family to another even city, let alone another country. Like the the very courageous man, very courageous, a very uh, a wonderful conversation with, with TJ. Thank you so much. I hope you guys will go follow him on Twitter at custom conquest um man still kind of reeling from the story from before <laughs> faisal and the socks my you know, you know what the worst part about it all is is that um i have a hole in, in one of the socks the problem is like they they, they really because they're quite old at this time and but i can get away with <laughs> i can get away with wearing them if i flip them onto the other side like i think there's a if if the left sock is on my left foot or however that works there's a there's a hole that comes out of the big the big toe. That's the saddest part about it. I wanted to leave that until the end because the first, the rest of it is a pretty special story. I think pretty pretty remarkable. Uh, so there's that. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, thank you so much again for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean Capri, Sean like Connery, Capri like the pants. If you like the show even just a little bit, you can get it earlier. You can get a whole bunch of stuff. You get even just for a dollar a month. Uh, Patreon.com/slash Jimmy Capri. You get all the stuff on one feed. Like, I don't know if you guys subscribe to this and the Xbox Drive and the Nintendo Drive and the PlayStation Drive and the RPG Cave and this. Is that how many is that? And Sweet Hangs. Um, it's a lot of, like, things just, like, like just jamming up your... That's the strategy. That's the Patreon strategy right there is put out so much content that you're actually far better off to go to patreon.com slash for a buck a month. You just get one feed and you get all the stuff. And that's pretty much almost almost a show a day. So hopefully that's not too much. And then you can, you know, you can just enjoy it all in one in one nice place. It's super convenient. That's really it. Why am I going on about this? I don't if you want to, <laughs> if, you, if you like. I am holding in my hands the Scott Pilgrim, the, the just the, the book one. And I was reading it today on the bus with the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack in my ears. And that was a 
that was a moment, man. That's uh, That was an experience that I plan on doing over and over and over again. I hope you guys will come back next week. I think Alex Van Aken is coming on the show pretty soon here. I don't know if that's next week or what it is, but that's that's coming up soon. So we end the show with this Jason bit, and it keeps going. So I'll see you guys next time. Okay, bye. Jason! 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 Sean! 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 Jason! 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 Jason!